nobody wants to be a fool, right? Nobody wants to be seen as foolish. In the great words of Mr. T, we all pity the fool. When you think about being foolish, when you think about being a fool, one of the things that I think about is are things like fool's gold. You know, fool's gold is um, this substance that somebody finds and they think they've got something that is worthwhile and valuable and they protect it and they take it maybe to a jewelry store only to find out that they have nothing of value. When I was young, um, when I was young, there was an empty lot in my neighborhood and we would play over there and me and some friends were in this empty lot and I think we were playing war, as young boys often do, and we looked in this tree, and in this tree, we found it. Oil. I had been raised on the Beverly Hillbillies, and we all rushed home to our parents. You know, we raced home to say, you've got to buy this land, because we're moving to Beverly Hills. Only to find out that somebody was dumping their used motor oil in the tree. (laughs) We had not found a spring of oil in the middle of Harrison, Tennessee. (laughs) Now, those examples can be a little bit silly. But as you heard our text read this morning. Being a fool. Walking in the way of the fool. Acting in certain ways, doing certain things, being foolish is destructive. Your life will not go well. God calls us. God calls us to walk the way of the wise. And over and over in this book, in this Bible, God has given us the way that the wise man walks. He's told us also the way that the foolish man walks. We have these books of the Bible that we call wisdom literature. And from them we gain a lot of insight, a lot of knowledge. I mean, you can go to the book of Proverbs, all over the book of Proverbs, and you'll hear things like this. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. The mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will protect him. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is goodwill. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright, the tent of the wise will flourish. And I think we all know this verse. There's a way which seems right to a man, but the end of that way is his destruction. Starting really kind of next week, we're going to kind of enter into the book of James. It'll be a soft entrance into the book of James next week. But James is considered by many wisdom literature. And so today I would like us to begin to wrap our heads around what wisdom is, what foolishness is, what folly is, what righteousness is. And the book of Psalms, this Psalms, gives us a clear glimpse into this. And if you think about it, as God ordained his word to be written, as he ordained a songbook to be written, 
Isn't it interesting that the very first song in this book is one that clearly shows the way of the wise and the way of the wicked? I mean, listen to this. It it draws us in. People of God, this should draw us in. Where it says, how blessed is the man. As God's people, we should desire to be blessed. We should be wanting to be the blessed man. When we hear those words, how blessed is the man, we should be eager to see what comes next. And notice what comes next in this psalm is the do not. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. How blessed is the man who does not stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. He will be like a tree. One of the takeaways from today is I want all of you to desire to be a tree. When I was young, I got the opportunity to visit my mother's family, her, my, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, uh, and my maternal grandfather uh, were raised in Oklahoma. So my grandmother and grandfather were born early 1900s, I think before 1910. And their parents lived on the frontier in Oklahoma, and there's all kinds of crazy stories about you know that. I'm sure the homestead was there and built in the 1800s, and we got the opportunity to go and to be there and to look and It was cool to be with my mom because she remembered certain things and could go and say, hey, here once stood this and you could see where a structure once was or over here there was this pond and it was all dried out and not a pond anymore. But her memory just kind of came alive. And it was interesting because at one moment she said, ah, there it is. A lot of the homestead was unrecognizable, but there was this tree, this massive tree in the middle of the homestead. And she started to recall memories of this tree, of playing in this tree, of, um, uh, you know, playing with her cousins, of different things. My grandmother began to tell stories of apparently she had a cat that was trained to get squirrels and she could say, cat, go get a squirrel. And it would go in this tree and come back in her window with a dead squirrel to eat. And as I was thinking about this text, I was thinking about my mother and being there with her. I was thinking about this tree, distinct, wide, majestic, massive. And I was thinking about that there weren't any other structures that were really left. And what happened to those things? Tornado. Cold, wind, rain, time. But yet the tree stood there. The tree stood firm. Verse 4 juxtaposes the, the wise, the righteous, will be like a tree, and the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff. And notice it says, which the wind drives away. And I don't think it's a leap to say that what the psalmist had in mind is that when the hardships of life come, the wicked, the unwise, will be swept away. I think it's fair to say that the wise will be like that tree on the property. 
It's gone through some things. It's weathered some storms, but it stands firm. It's kind of like the idea that as Christians, that we're supposed to be oaks. Massive, strong, enduring structures that stand firm in the midst of life's storms and hardships. Notice the words. Blessed is this man. In verse 3, which yields fruit in season. This kind of man is fruitful. His leaves don't wither. In verse 3, again, he's prosperous. And in verse 6, the psalmist calls this man righteous. And what I want to ask you this morning, what I want to, you to consider, is this what you would like to be said of your life? That you're blessed. That you're fruitful. That you're prosperous. That you're righteous. And if you've been here any time, you know when I say these words, I'm not talking about the kind of fruitfulness and prosperity that the world looks at. I'm talking about fruitful, righteous, and blessed according to what matters most, and that's the kingdom of God. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and it doesn't mean that there's not going to be trials. Ecclesiastes, which is another wisdom book in the Old Testament, tells us that the plot of a the plight of a man who has experienced it all, that's had all the riches, that's had all the experiences, and you know what's the refrain? It's all vain. Vanity of vanities. And the conclusion of this book, over and over again, the refrain of this book is that the only thing that matters is God, His Word, His kingdom, and that's where we anchor down and place our faith and our trust and our hope. And when we do that, when we do that, the Lord meets us there and grows us and gives us strength and prospers us in the things that matter. And we all know these kind of people, don't we? Some of them are in this room. I'm not calling anybody out this week. But we have some oaks in this room that you look at. They have followed the Lord's teaching. They have followed his ways. And you see that the Lord has met with them and has blessed them, has poured his love into them. And they are oaks. They are solid. Notice in this psalm, there's really two paths. And what I want to point out is that there's, there's only two paths. I think one of the things that we want to do is to find a middle way where we can like consider ourselves righteous and godly or kind of a okay Christian but not be fanatical. You know, so we like to find these middle ways. But there's, there's only two ways. Notice it says again, hear it again. How blessed is the man who does not walk. This is one way that the psalmist does not want us to walk. Doesn't walk in the counsel of wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Notice standing, walking, sitting. Do not position yourself in a way, in the path of wickedness, of scoffers, of sinners. That's the one path. And there's another. Where it tells us the other way is to delight yourself in the Lord. 
to delight yourself in the law of the Lord, to meditate on his word. And the result we see is that he will be like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water. And so, kids, I've got a question for you. What do roots do? Good. Sucks up water from the ground, I think is what I heard. Sinjin, I can always count on you, buddy. And what we know is that if the conditions are right and a tree is, is plopped down and that water is flowing, the roots firmly take hold and they're sucking up that water and that water, that source of life is running through those roots into the tree and it goes all the way out into the leaves and to the fruit that is on that tree. And what the psalmist is telling us is that the other way to live by meditating on his law, by delighting in the law, that the thing that happens is that those roots become strong. And it holds that tree in place and it is nourished and it is fulfilled. And notice the contrast. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff. The wind comes and they're just blown away. There's no fruit. And they're gone. You see the distinction. There's a there's a berry. I learned this and I, I hope I'm right in all this. Some of you can correct me. It's called a nightshade. It's the most poisonous berry um, that exists. Two to three of these berries will kill an adult person. So I want you to imagine for a moment that there's a baker and he bakes two loaves of bread. One loaf of bread is full of raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, whatever berry that is yummy and edible. And there's another loaf of bread that is full of nightshade berries. And you're brought in and say, and it's told, yep, eat. So what would you do? Maybe you'd look around, feel it. I don't know what feeling it would do, but you'd want to get this right. You observe, you smell. Maybe there's people walking by and you're asking them, hey, what do you think? How silly would it be if you tasted it? I'm just going to give it a little taste. Now, what makes this example extremely absurd is let's say that the, 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 the man or woman who baked the bread was right there in front of you. And you never asked. <laughs> Let's take it even a little further. Let's say the man or woman who baked the bread had a sign that told you what was in the bread. But you didn't read it. I got this. I'll figure this out on my own. Let's take it to the extreme absurdity. Let's say that 
above one of the loaves of bread was a light that was flashing that said, danger, 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 don't eat. Aren't we so much like that man or woman says, I'm just going to taste it. I'm just going to see for myself. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. We know the verse, don't we? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. The reason why, get this church, understand this. The reason why the psalmist tells us that you can delight in the law and blessed is the man who meditates in the law because when you understand that the God of the universe has not been silent but that He has spoken His Words become everything. He created you. He created this world. He is not a version of truth. He is truth. Everything flows from Him. The wise man understands this God that we sang about. We, we can't understand and comprehend, but we understand that life has come from Him we worship and serve a big God. We see Him as a big God that is way above us. And so when we want to walk in the way of the wise, we meditate on His book and we delight in the reality that He has given us the way to prosper. We have not been left alone. This is one of the many, many, many gifts that God has given us. But how foolish we are. How foolish we are. That we read verses like this. Their God became their stomach or their appetite or their desire. That instead of God being God and us trusting in what he has said and what he has told us. That we live many times according to this principle of what looks right to me. In the Old Testament, there's the refrain. Everyone did what? What was right in their own eyes. There is a way. There is a way that seems good and right. But the end. The end is destruction. You see the problem. The problem is this. God has spoken. But there's another voice, isn't there? There's another voice. And we see this from the beginning. God is done with creation. Man is in the garden with his wife. God has said this, the God of the universe that has created everything, that has been communing with Adam. Adam has no doubt who the creator is. Adam has no doubt who this God is. He has no doubt who has created all things. And God looks at all these wonderful, great gifts that he has given man and said, eat, 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 eat. Hey, listen, there's only one thing. There's only one tree from this tree, this fruit, you shall not eat. And here comes the other voice. Has God really said? And we, like our forefather, we take, we look. 
Huh. Looks good. Looks good for eating. It's a pretty little nightshade berry. It looks attractive. I bet this is good. And then the voice says, you know what? God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. God's holding out on you. He doesn't know. And from the beginning, that other voice has whispered and at times screamed in our ear that there is another way. And what the wisdom literature tells us is that way is the way of the foolish that leads to the path of destruction. And I'm just going to give you one very simple, maybe two very simple illustrations of, of, of what this is. One is this. From the very beginning, God has given us the design for adults, man and woman, relating to one another. One man, one woman, together, and within that is where intimacy, where love, where, where, where sexual expression takes place. And our day and age, our society says... Has God really said? Did God really say? He doesn't know. He's holding out on you. And we buy it. We buy it. Our culture is screaming at us that there's another way. And the way of this old, archaic, Religion doesn't know what it's talking about. For some of you younger kids, the Bible says things like this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is a commandment with a promise. But yet there's that voice that all of us, I remember being there too, that whispers and says, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Did he really say does he know your parents? There's a way that seems right to man. But in the end, is destruction. Your truth is not God's truth unless your truth is coming from the source of truth. God himself. Psalm 14.1 tells us the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And Proverbs 9 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's foolish to, to not recognize and realize that there is a sovereign, omniscient, all-powerful God in heaven that has spoken. And when the Proverbs say the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, doesn't it make sense that when we understand who this God is, if we really get a glimpse of who this God is, if you really believe what was sung this morning, the only thing to do is to worship by saying, God, all I have is yours and I'm yours. And whatever you tell me, whatever you decree, whatever you command, I am going to trust and believe that it is good and right and that it is for me. That's why the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. Not, oh no, he's going to smash me if I don't do it. But it's the awe and the reverence of this big creator God has spoken. 
And when we live in the opposite way, when we neglect the words of God, when we get truth from a different source and when we compromise on what we believe, what it is saying is, God, I don't trust you. You're not that big. You're not that majestic. You're not that powerful. I think I can do this by myself. You remember Job's response? In meeting with God and the difficulties where Job repents and says, God, whew, I have heard rumors of you, but now I have seen you and I am shutting my mouth and I am letting you be God and I am worshiping. <laughs> oh, that we would be these kind of people. I have a pear tree in my yard. The pear tree in my yard has produced zero pears this year. The pear tree in my yard produced one pear last year. Joe Lockhart made fun of me last year because I had one pear on my tree last year. And I've often wondered, where's the fruit? I mean, if you were to come to my yard and you were to see there are apple trees in my yard, and there's apples, the deer get most of them, but it's producing, and the pear tree is close to the apple trees, you're like, what in the world's going on? Well, maybe there's a disease. Maybe there's some kind of insect that's getting on my pear trees that's eating them. Maybe there's some kind of special worm that has polluted my pear tree. I don't know. I, I think if, I don't believe pear trees can talk or think. I know we've got to define that now in our day and age. But I think if it could... It would say, I really, want to, I really want to produce a pear. I really, really want to pop out a pear. It's just not happening. What in the world is wrong? In verse 5 and 6 of this psalm. And I pray that the gravity of this will hit us. For those of us who are playing around with sin. Who are standing, sitting and walking in the wrong counsel. The wicked will not stand in the day of judgment. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. In the New Testament. We're told that you will know the tree by what? It's fruit. In the book of Mark, as Jesus was outside of the temple and he sees the fig tree that it was supposed to be bearing fruit, it was in season, and the fig tree didn't produce any figs, wasn't producing figs, that Jesus cursed the fig tree as an example to us of what our lives are to be like. And here, here we're reminded in this psalm as he's talking about this tree and bearing fruit and leaves that don't wither and he's talking about chaff and he's talking about wickedness and it's like my pear tree. It's useless. It's useless. I want to be careful. I've tried this morning to be very careful with my words. There's a way to interpret what I'm saying that is absolutely wrong. And again, I've tried to be careful because the psalm doesn't teach this wrongly. 
James sometimes, the book of James is looked at and scoffed at by some church fathers or uh, theologians in the church. And the reason why the book of James and some of the wisdom uh, literature in the Old Testament is looked at in a negative light is that it said, well, look, what's the psalmist saying? You can be good enough and go to heaven? I mean, is that what it's saying? Is this a work-based salvation? And we know if you've been in church, people in the Old Testament were justified by what? Faith. The Bible, the New Testament teaches over and over again that we're justified the same way. You know, when Jesus came and died on the cross, we're justified by faith, putting our faith and hope in Jesus. Well, what then is this teaching? Notice this psalm. Notice the way that the psalmist fleshes this out. The only way that you're going to produce fruit is if you have faith in God and His Word and are placing yourself under that. That's the way you produce fruit. It is about faith. James also tells us that faith without works is what? Dead. That our works are evidence of our faith. Faith will produce fruit. And so what we see is that these two things are are connected. And when we see the wisdom literature, we're hearing the biblical writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit telling us that this is what a life that is hoping in God looks like. Because you are planting yourself under his word, in his precepts and walking forward, trusting that his word is right and best and is over us. And if that's the case, again, we delight in that and we meditate in that and we believe that and we hang out in that. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about foolishness. In verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who us, notice this, are being saved, it's the power of of God. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But if you want to be a wise person, you look to Christ as your salvation. God has made a way. The way was the cross of Christ. So when we look at Christ, when we sit there, even though the world thinks we're foolish, We know that this is the power of God. This is how we are being saved. And then I want you to notice something a little later in this text. And there's so much here. I wish we could spend a lot of time here, but we won't. In verse 30 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, But by doing, you are in Christ. Notice this. Who became to us the what? The wisdom of God. And righteousness and sanctification in redemption, that Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the water in which we firmly plant ourselves. The roots of this tree are drinking in the water of what Christ's death, burial, and resurrection has achieved for us. That's how we become strong oaks, that we know that God has spoken He has given us His Son. And that we are drawing from that. Isn't it interesting in the book of John, in the book of John, the book of John starts like this. In the beginning was the what? The Word. The Logos. And the Word 
was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word did what? It became flesh. The wisdom of God becomes flesh and is manifested in Jesus. What about the book of Hebrews? In the former days, He has spoken to us in many ways in various times, but in these latter days, He has spoken to us how? Through His Son. Salvation has become realized. Our faith and hope are put in Him. And when we see Christ, we see the wisdom of God. The foolish forsake the salvation that is in Christ and Christ alone. The foolish forsake the teaching and the ways of Christ. The foolish walk and sit and stand in ways that are contrary to the ways that Jesus Christ lived and moved and walked. The wise delight in the ways and the message of Jesus and meditate on Him and delight in Him. This is what makes you a tree firmly planted in the midst of this world that is chaotic. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be prosperous? Do you want to bear fruit? Do you want to be righteous? Look to Christ and live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you and that you have spoken. You have given us your word. God, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who put your word above us and let it define who we are and how we are going to live. And God, we're thankful for your son who you gave to us that became, took on our sin and was the realization of the trust and hope that had been put in you for ages and that on that cross, in his death, burial, and resurrection, we can live. And God, help us to look back to him as we see him as the perfect example of your wisdom, your grace, your love. God, I pray this morning, from young to old, that we will be like trees planted firmly in the streams that you have provided. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.